no, 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 Hey everybody, Norm over here, and want to tell you about today's episode with Jared from the Jingle Punks. He's turned an empire out of doing music for TV shows, soundtracks, movies, commercials. There's a lot of different ways to make a living in the music business. When an opportunity arises, take advantage of it. So stay tuned. This is a great episode. Everybody, Norm over here. Welcome to the Norm's Rare Guitars podcast. And today we've got a very unusual guest, a good buddy of ours from the store and one of the most successful people in doing music for TV, films, commercials. Um, it's Jared Gutstadt from the Jingle Punks, known as Jingle Jared. And he is just, uh, you know, turned a tremendous career uh, from just doing all this music for film and TV. And um, just to show you that there are other ways to make a living of playing music. I mean, plan A usually is form a band, get a hit tune, make millions of dollars and all that. But it doesn't work out that way for everybody. So sometimes you have to think of a plan B and a way to do it and be a businessman. And you've got to be creative You've got to just be insistent and not take no for an answer. And you just got to keep going with it. And you just have to have a good original idea. And that's what Jared has done. And he's uh, been a customer of ours for many years. And uh, he's turned a tremendous company uh, in a very short amount of time. So, Jared. All right. Coming back to you there, buddy. All right. Whoa, I got carried so, away there. <laughs> when, when did the Jingle Punk start? Um, it started uh, in a very, very tiny apartment in New York City in 2008. But like all beginning stories, there's even a further backstory to that. Uh, prior to that, I was a TV editor working for Viacom, working for MTV Cribs, Chappelle Show. And I would from time to time just like sneak my music in the shows that I was working on. And that turned into me getting a dollar, <laughs> one dollar. But like, then I got another dollar and another ah, dollar. Professional in the music industry. Uh, but, you know, I had for years tried to make a dollar in the music business by playing in bands and, you know, touring. I had everything that could have possibly happened to set the stage for a great uh, traditional music career go right uh, at the very beginning of my TV editing career, but I also had a family to take care of, very young kids. So I had to get my day job going. You know, I'd edit a few, 10 hours a day working in those buildings. Be I was the world's worst, anyone who you ask, world's worst focused editor because I had like ADD. So I could edit for, I'd get, they'd get a solid two hours out of my 10 hour a day <laughs> where I could really kill it for those two. 
and possibly do the work of what, what people. What kind of stuff were you editing? What like did they throw? They you could or? dump seventy-two hours of Housewives fighting in front of me, oh and I could turn God. that into a solid thirty of, yeah. of Bravo Housewives. And but I realized that there was so much content being created. There was all these production music libraries that existed. Uh, I won't name their names, but you probably have all, if you've worked in the music business and thrown your music in a production music library, yeah. just to, it, to, not to sound too corny about it, but it was like the porn of the music business. Yeah. It was taboo. Giant, You'd make up a fake name. garbage cans full of yeah, music. Yeah, but what happened was I realized there was a huge onslaught of content coming a wave, if you will, of unscripted te television because more and more of my jobs were going from scripted series to unscripted. And I was like, if you could figure out a way to make hip music work in the context of this like new world of Kardashians, American Pickers, Pawn Stars, Housewives, each of these brands would have their own sound. And that is a long way of saying that the 2008 starting in my garage on the Lower East Side, the kickoff point was really me going, aha. Uh, that's that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop yeah. for a minute trying to be the next Strokes, the next White Stripes, the next Bob Dylan, because I just was born possibly at the wrong time or to the wrong parents or with the wrong you know <laughs> physical build. Something was wrong and it that's wasn't working. That's my story too. So, I mean, it's amazing. How that <laughs> so I decided that maybe this was something where my brain and my hustle and the rest of it would be my thing as much as I love, look, I love making music and that's my passion, but I had to drive this business starting from 2008 all the way to where we are now in a way that the tour of Jingle Punks was crazier than anything I ever read about <laughs> Rolling Stone 77, you know, uh, you know, yep. the Beatles on the road. We've, I got to do fulfill every imaginable uh, part of what it's like to be a rock star without actually having to live in hotel rooms and travel around the world. Like <laughs> Very good. And by the way, I just want to say, that's you know, you hear this British accent coming <laughs> on the other side. That's from uh, my partner, Nick Dias, Hello. who was, uh, you know, one of our secret weapons at the store. Uh -huh. And uh, so when you hear his voice, you know where that's coming from. And uh, he helps me along on these things. But, you know, the thing that's so cool about, you know, what Jared has done, and you, you may go, well, you know, I've never really heard of the Jingle Punks. But the truth of the matter is you've heard them a million million, million times on all these television shows, on movies, on commercials, all kinds of stuff. They figured out a way to kind of monetize this and make a business out of it. In fact, he's been so successful mm -hmm. that William Morris bought uh, a portion of his business and he's making so much money that I've heard <laughs> that he's going to start a charity. And this charity is to help out elderly vintage guitar store owners. Owner. He's yeah. doing like uh, no interest yeah. loans, you know, to elderly vintage guitar store owners. And that's so kind of you, Jared. I appreciate oh, you doing that. It's my that. pleasure. You guys have helped me out so under, many times. Under the I pretext, like to get back. Thank under you. the pretext of what buying really good vintage yeah. guitars. Oh, yeah. I'm invest for work. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> this is my favorite place to come tell, to tell to us, work. Yeah. Well, the thing that's kind of cool is, you know, when you're doing all this music, a lot of it is layering and layering different sounds, mm -hmm. you know, so that you can kind of create a feeling with the music. So, I mean, you've bought a lot of odd instruments besides just guitars. You bought a tenor guitar, a national yep. tricone tenor from the 30s. That's uh, around 1930. That's really cool. But 
what it does is it adds a different flavor. Well, it does two things. One is when people walk into my office in LA and it looks like this weird hunting lodge with animal heads up on the wall <laughs> and old guitar. It does two things. One, it makes people go, holy shit, these guys make music. Yeah. But two, it, I really do believe that there's no sound. And I don't, again, I never want to sound like I'm old fashioned and not embracing technology, but there's nothing that can be found inside the box, right? you know, that can create a, you know, 1960s sounding guitar, sitar, you know, yep. Dan Electra thing, or there's nothing that can emulate that tenor guitar thing with all the warts and all around the, the wonky. It's the notes. authentic sound. Right? And look, it, it, there's important to have like a tightness to some of the TV stuff we do, but there's also an important to have a layer of looseness. And you guys from day one, you know, never made me feel like the, the cliche of when I've walked, when I was younger, walking into guitar stores and they're like, uh, what do you want? What are you doing here? Like when Jingle Punks had no resume, I remember I was working on a Fox pilot and I did need that sitar sound and I didn't know how to play a sitar. Right. So you said, how about, you know, this instrument? And I didn't buy it. You guys lent it to me. Uh -huh. I'm sure you guys don't make that a, a habit. But I remember thinking, like, well, wow. you look like an honest guy. people you know? we like, yeah. And, and, I, and I never forgot that. And then when uh, a little bit of success happened, my team was like, where are we going to get our gear from? I was like, only here. Like, that's like. Well, I remember when you first started coming in the store and we you explained what you were doing. And we, we all sort of got it immediately because he's, he's been a professional music you know we were all musicians in the first place yeah. and you said well i want to do this but i want the sounds to be authentic and i might need something odd i might need mm -hmm. a balalaika or a tenor yeah. or whatever and we're like oh yeah that's we get it yeah. yeah absolutely yeah well you know it's cool because i mean you want it to be organic you want it to sound real and um and again you know I, I, one thing i wanted to ask you is like you know you've created a library yeah. with all this music in it and you can kind of call on that um at will or when you get a new gig and they come to you and they say we're doing a show about the housewives yeah um you know do you immediately start thinking of how can we create that you know for this so, show or do you look back in the library and just try to pick stuff that you already have it's a mix of both because the early days like i said were really exciting when we get a show like pawn stars that you know yeah. it was like that theme song went That thing, yeah, like, yeah, that happened in wow. the most happenstance <laughs> way where I was coming home from my job. I Jingle Punks hadn't fully started yet. And this lady, Krista, calls me. She goes, there's a show about these guys who have a pawn shop. It's probably not going to be anything. But they have a few <laughs> songs that sound like ACDC. And I had no library. So I sort of fudged and I lied. And I said, I think I have something. Yeah. But instead of saying... Uh, instead of like uh, just like waiting a week to turn it in, in between getting home and going to a gig that night, written it. I wrote two riffs <laughs> with lyrics. And I think I wrote, Pawn Stars! And she goes, take the lyrics out in the morning. The gig is yours. Six uh -huh. months later, it's one of the biggest shows on American it Cable. Was huge. But the combo at that point when, you know, much like we're talking about this new media universe of podcasting and digital, at that time, that was unscripted television. And because we were affiliated very loosely with a hit show, all of a sudden the phone started ringing, American Pickers. Oh, fantastic. Uh, yeah. The voice. Like, it, it, it had, I'm skipping steps, but the most exciting part was we had really no library. I had 500 tracks from 
2005 to 2008. When you say track, you mean... Uh, I mean like 30 pieces, second little 30 second like pieces, noodles, yeah. like hip hop, like... And then we'd start getting complaints from clients being like, yeah, these need to be two minutes, not 30 seconds because we can't just loop these. Right. So I fired up a factory in New York of this guy, Jeff Peters, graduated from Syracuse, showed up with his resume, hey, I want to be an intern. Guess what? You're not an intern, you're a composer. This other guy shows up, he's like, I just graduated from NYU. I want to be... You know, uh, I want to like start in the mailroom. Guess what? The mailroom is composing. Those people, <laughs> you, you got to do it all. Here's a who guitar, ended up day work. one showing up. There was one year at the ASCAP Awards where there was 15 people from our company that accepted awards. Wow! And it was almost like a virus because we it was like Hans Zimmer was there, Trent Reznor, you know, all the regular usual suspects, yeah. uh, Mike Post. And we just like show up. No, everyone's like in like rented tuxedos, with, like blue jeans <laughs> yeah. on, and our hats. And, and it's the jingle post. And it, it really was, you know, from the first year that that I went to the ASCAP Awards. I remember someone at my table when they played. Da -da 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 -da. Someone uh, just snarkily went, "That's not even mastered properly." <laughs> <laughs> but we were just playing catch up with the universe. Uh, I didn't know how to really, and this isn't something to admit. I didn't know how to mix or master or do any of the things we do really well now at the very beginning. Yeah. But we were building the airplane as it was but in the air. But you had the ideas and you had the drive, right? Well, yeah. there, there's hope for you all. Well, there's there, hope for you uh, all. That's honest, what it really amounts to. When somebody says, Jared, can you, before they finish the sentence, you go, yes. yes. Yeah. And, you know, if, you know, some people yes. would go, no, I don't really do that or whatever. You're out. You know, you can't You can't qualify things with, with a negative. I always say yes it's and. It's better to say yes. You so figure it, it out. Was, yeah. was there a lot of that? Was there a lot of pushback when you, like, who are these guys all of a sudden? Yeah. Like, like, so the craziest thing that ever happened was, so we started in New York, and I'm, the story was we were just a bunch of people hustling in New York City. Every day we would close some new small show, like Second Chance Chihuahua for Animal Planet. We'd go to the bar, everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd, do, we'd get drunk. We'd be like, we did it. And I remember the first Chihuahuas. time American Pickers came on, I didn't know what to expect. I said, we're going to play a drinking game. Every time one of us hears one of our cues, let's drink. Oh, everyone almost ended up in the hospital. But, <laughs> Because <laughs> it was like two minutes into the show. You're well, that Canadian. creates yeah. a vibe. Yeah, yeah. yeah like... But uh, the best thing was we come out to LA and we're like, let's take a crack in network TV because cable was exploding. And all of a sudden, everyone who was popular in cable was starting to get a shot to do things in network. And network still was bigger royalties, bigger payday. Right. It's NBC, ABC, CBS, Fox. Yeah. And you're like, if I could crack into that, then the business will really be safe and we can all take a breather. So I come out here. And I move it. Hans Zimmer was a very, very small investor in our business early on. Like I had oh, a random meeting wow. with him. That's we take a spot smaller than this in his giant facility. And when the other composers found out that Jingle Punks was in the building, the day that I moved in and set up, I was supposed to be pitching on The Voice. And it was like that scene in Revenge of the Nerds where they threw them out of the house. I get a knock on the door from the facility manager like, you can't stay here. I was like, yeah, but... Hans and his team said we could stay here and like do this thing and I'm on this a crazy deadline and they're like no you have to leave right now because we wow. were sort of like intrusive to the pro everybody else in the building was pitching on the voice too so other companies oh. Well, now they're probably asking you if they could come into your facility, you know, <laughs> the, those same people. The point of the, that story was the hustle and tenacity. So we, a friend of ours, his buddy was like the GM at the Viceroy. So he just goes, look, we don't have an, have an office space and we can't use my like Flophouse College apartment <laughs> where like my one employee out here was staying. So we oh. went to the Viceroy. 
how much for the room for the day and how much noise can we make? They're like, how does it work? So I showed the GM that we were on headphones, that we were doing everything with MIDI. And he goes, fine. It's yeah. great. So we posted up there for three days, took the meeting with the music producer from the series in the lobby of the Viceroy. So it actually made us look like we were fancier because yeah. yeah. we were like, oh, meet us in our nice hotel or oh, our Viceroy. studios upstairs. They well, yeah. Yeah. So we, they said, <laughs> everything is perception. Right? And they said, this is the full circle moment. Well, here's the deal, Jared. They're like, we don't just want a composer. We want a composer and the library. And it was the first time that someone had said the thing that we were already doing, which is you're not going to be able to work quick enough, even with 15 people, yeah. to get us all the music we need. Like, it's like, hey, I'm Joe Schmo. I'm from Arkansas. And to be like, you know, yeah. they do like music beds. You need a production line. Yeah. And we just, instead of us making all those needs, the library went into the package side of everything. So when you meet characters for the first time, uh, that package music was from the library and all the big stuff like dun, 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 the bombast that was created season on season. And that was, you know, a huge, huge deal for us. And really at that point, that's when you're in LA and you have that moment when all of a sudden someone's at the meetings start coming to you instead of you hustling people nice. going, Hey, you think we can meet? And, also in LA, there's two types of meetings. You, when you meet with agents, if they say, let's meet you across the street for a coffee versus come upstairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like in like Moneyball, remember the well, first time. Well, I'm going to get lunch here. anyway, so I might as well do yeah. it with you guys. Yeah. Well, you know, um, one thing also that's kind of interesting is you have a master's from NYU, right? Yes. and uh, Interactive media? Full, again,